All right. Well, good morning again. Great having you all here with us this morning. Again, sorry about last week. Uh, me and Chris got here, and it was too cold for babies, so we just canceled it real quick. Um, and it's unfortunate, too, because we were starting a new sermon series. We're going to take a little break from the book of Acts, and we're going to start a sermon series called A Christmas Curtain Call. And you can see how great of a graphic artist I am. I got a picture and put a title up on top. I think it works. Um, our focus, as I was thinking about you know December and Christmas and all that, I thought it'd be interesting to take a look at the individual actors in the nativity story, right? We got Joseph, we got Mary, we got the wise men, we got the shepherds, and obviously we have Jesus. And so a Christmas curtain call is focusing on these specific guys. Last week was Joseph. Um, I recorded um, that message in my office, and I put it on the um, on our um, Facebook page and also our our website, so you can check that out. Uh, today, we're going to look at um, these two other groups, the wise men and the shepherds. And we're going to ask, what do these people tell us about this child that was born? What do the shepherds, what do we learn from the shepherds and the wise men? And so to, today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and then we're also going to be in Luke chapter 2. So I'm just going to go ahead and read that for us, and then we can dive in. This is what it says in Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, uh, wise men from the east came, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. If you go over, Sonny, there should be the, the text there. There it is. Okay. And you can go to the next one here. Yep. And it says this, verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had, been, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gold, gifts, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So this is the story of the wise men. The wise men come from the east and um, meet Jesus and offer him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know this story well. And then the next section here is about Herod, the king um, that the wise men came to. This is verse 16, 17, 18. This is what it says. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that they had ascertained from the wise men. Then what was fulfilled was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Now we're going to move over to Luke chapter 2 and quickly read 
the story of the shepherds. This is what it says in Luke chapter 2, verses 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So um, Hannah and I recently got the new Disney Plus. I don't know if you guys have got Disney Plus. It's the new sort of streaming um, network from Disney. And we started watching uh, that new Star Wars show, The Mandalorian, right? I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, but I, I was watching it, and Hannah wasn't too into it. She's not really into, into Star Wars. But then the, um, the Mandalorian, he's like this bounty hunter in outer space. He finds this package, this, you know, this bounty that he's trying to, to get. And it's a little baby Yoda. I don't know if you're familiar with baby Yoda. This cute little green dude, uh, baby Yoda. And I was watching it, and Hannah was like, I'm not interested in this. And then she saw baby Yoda, and she was interested. Uh, yeah, she, there he is, baby Yoda. Once she saw baby Yoda, she was like all about it because he's so cute, right? So she was like, you know, okay, I want to watch this now. Look at this cute little baby Baby Yoda. And so the whole story is about um, these people trying to come and get Baby Yoda. So from the bounty hunter and the Mandalorian finds Baby Yoda, now he's on the run. Everyone's trying to get this little baby, this little child. And that's the entire story. And they're, they're on the run from all these people trying to get this child. And as I was thinking about Baby Yoda, it reminded me a lot of another baby that was born 2,000 years ago, that also turned the world upside down. Another baby that men flocked to to get a look at. Another baby that men couldn't make heads or tails of, that some wanted to worship and some wanted to kill. And that baby is baby Jesus. And yes, I did make a connection between baby Yoda and baby Jesus just now. Um, Today, what we're going to look at is the wise men and the shepherds. These two groups that flock towards this child. And w- what we're going to see from these shepherds is, these, these shepherds and these wise men, is that they answer this question for us. The question being, what child is this? What child is this that was born in the manger? What child is this that all of heaven rejoices to see? What child is this that Herod wants to kill? What child is this that God has brought through the Virgin Mary? What we're going to see today is in the wise men and in Herod, this child is a king. That's who this baby Jesus is. This baby Jesus is a king. And through the shepherds, what we're going to see today is that this baby Jesus is good news for the rest of the world. So let's first start with the shepherds in Matthew chapter 2. I'm sorry, the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. So, you know, it's hard whenever you're preaching a message that we've heard a billion times, right? We're familiar with these stories. We're familiar with the wise men. We we think we kind of got these guys figured out. 
um, to pull something new from this story. But that's what we're going to try to do today. And we're going to start with these wise men here. Um, so these wise men, I know we have the song, We Three Kings. Um, they're not kings. They're wise men. It's, there's a different, different deal. The, they're magicians. They're like astrologers. They're, they study the sky. They study stars. And it says that um, they have come from the east. They're people that pursued knowledge. There's a 95% chance that they had a white beard that goes down to their knees. 95% chance, I would say. Think Gandalf the Grey, right, from, um, from the Lord of the Rings. And there's a lot we don't know about these guys. Um, for instance, we say that there's three, but the Bible doesn't say there's three. It just says men, right? The only reason we think there's three of them is because gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we don't really know how many wise men there are. It just says just more than one. That's what we know. Um, it says that they're from the east, but we don't know where that is. Um, we know that they're not from Jerusalem. They're not Israelites. They're not Jews. Um, most people think that they're from Persia, which would be modern-day Iran. What we do know, and this is interesting to me, is that they're Gentiles. They are outside of the covenant promises of God, that they are looked at as foreigners. And yet, they are the ones that come and worship Jesus. Not even Jews are the first ones, but these wise men, these foreigners, that tells us a lot about who this baby is going to be, I think. That he comes for all people, not just the Jews, but for all people with these wise men worshiping them. Um, So they are outsiders, these wise men. And another thing is that they weren't there at the birth of Jesus. We think of the nativity scene, right? We got like the picture we had up there, we got Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the wise men and some lambs and goats and all that. But they weren't there at the birth of Jesus. They showed up probably a year or two after the birth of Christ. Um, So there's a lot about the wise men that we don't really understand, that we don't know. But what we do know about the wise men is what's most important. What we do know about the wise men is that they came to worship Jesus as a king. They came to worship Jesus as a king. That's what it says in verse 2. Whenever the wise men come and speak to Herod, they say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Isn't this such a strange thing to think of these old men bowing to a baby, but a baby that they see as a king? How strange must this be to Herod to have these outsiders come out of nowhere and say, where is this baby king born, king of the Jews? How did they know that this baby was born? Why do they think that a a king, a baby king has been born? Well, it tells us in the second half of verse 2. Where is this, this child born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The Jews believed that God was going to send a Messiah. We know that. God was going to send a deliverer. God was going to send a savior to his people. And the prophecy was that you're going to know whenever the savior's here because a star will be the sign of the savior. And so we know that today, the star over the manger. We put a star on top of our Christmas tree, right? But for the Jews, it was a sign of a Messiah, a liberator. And it comes from Numbers 24, 17. I should have it over there if you click through a little bit. There it is. This was a, a prophecy written thousands of years before what we have here with the birth of Jesus. It says this, I see him, but not now. 
I behold him, but not near. So I see this Messiah coming, but not now. I behold him, but he's not here yet. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. What does that mean? It means that there is going to come a king from Israel who will liberate Israel from all of its enemies. There's going to be a king that's going to come out of the nation of Israel, Jacob and Israel. That's the same thing. That means the same thing. That is going to liberate God's people. By the time of the, of the wise men here, this star, this idea of a star, came to be the symbol of the Messiah. So people are looking for a star. And whenever the wise men see the star, they come because they believe that the Messiah has come. The wise men remind us that Christmas is a celebration of Jesus as a king. I don't really think of Christmas as that. I I think about the birth of a savior. But for the wise men, they were celebrating the birth of a king, of a ruler, of the promised one of God to liberate God's people. In the birth of Jesus, we have a king returning to his kingdom, that God is not far off from us, but that he is with us, and he's come to subdue the earth and recreate the earth. This is what Philippians 2 says about Jesus being king. It says, Jesus being born in the likeness of men, that's the nativity, that's the incarnation, Jesus being born like a man, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was born in the likeness of men, but God has highly exalted him to have the name above every name. Jesus was born as a baby in a cradle and yet reigns as a king, even while he's in the cradle. It doesn't make sense. It's crazy. But the wise men, whenever they see Jesus in the cradle, they see a king. There's no other text in Scripture that is so emphatic in stating the kingship of Jesus, that Jesus rules over everything. The, The Bible says that the whole world is held together by the word of his power that he speaks everything into existence. Whenever Jesus starts his ministry in Mark chapter 1, this is what he says. He says, After John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaimed the gospel, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As I think about these wise men, there's a paradox to me. The paradox is this, at Christmas season, the king of all power, all glory and honor has come in the form of a little baby, a king in a cradle. But for these wise men, they don't see a baby. They see a king and they worship him as a king, a king that goes from a cradle to a cross to a tomb and ultimately to a throne. And so as I reflect on this, Um, I realize in myself that it's easy to not worship Jesus during Christmas, right? It's such a busy time of the year. We're running around. We got parties to go to, gatherings. We got gifts to buy. We got food to cook, food to eat. We got a lot of stuff going on that it's easy not to worship Jesus at all, right? I mean, I I don't even know if Christmas morning 
we just open presents, right? I mean, I don't even know if we pray on Christmas morning. I just in my growing up, right? Um, I know sometimes, you know, we read, read the word, but a lot of time it's not focused on worship at all. But that's what the wise men do. They worship the king. The wise men remind us that the heart of the Christmas season is worship of the king. And how did they do this? They brought him their gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. They, bought, they brought to Jesus the best that they had. And so our worship of Jesus ought to reflect that, giving God the best that we have. I, th- I think it's so, if you think about the wise men giving these gifts to Jesus, this is where it comes from, right? The giving of gifts. The wise men gave gifts to Jesus, and so the Christmas season, we give gifts to each other. But that's backwards, because the wise men didn't give gifts to each other. They gave gifts to Christ. The very notion of gift giving for them was just an act of worship. They were worshiping Jesus and giving him gifts. And yet for us, we just kind of give each other gifts and, and leave Jesus out of it. And I'm not against giving gifts, right? I'll, I'll take gifts. I'll give gifts. You know, like I'm not against that. But the giving of gifts was an act of worship. That's what it was. It was an act of worship, and we don't really think about it that way anymore. You know, it's more like that's just kind of what we do. The, Jesus is the gift to the world, and the wise men gave gifts to him as worship, but we're just kind of buying iPads for each other, right? Um, which is fine. iPads are great, but I don't want to miss that, right? The heart of it. The wise men remind us that the Christmas season is, a, is the season of worshiping the king. That's what it is. A season of worshiping the king who has come to his kingdom. But not everyone wanted to worship this king, right? Not everyone was super jazzed about this Jesus baby coming. Um, the, the main person in our story that wasn't super jazzed about it was this guy Herod, Herod the Great, okay? So let me just tell you a little bit about Herod. Um, Herod was not a Jew, but he was king of the Jews. So in, in the time, the Jews were ruled by the Romans. Um, the Roman, um, the Rom- Romans ruled pretty much all the world. And they put this Herod, the great guy, in power over the Jews. So he, he was king of the Jews, okay, in, in that day and age. This guy was, um, he was a master builder. He built a lot of buildings. He restored the temple of worship, but he was also crazy. He was a a megalomaniac. So a megalomaniac, that's someone who's crazy, power hungry. Um, And he was so fearful of his throne that in suspicion and paranoia, he killed one of his wives, he killed two of his sons, and he killed other relatives because he thought that they were trying to take away his power. And there was a saying in that day that it was better to be a Herod's pig than Herod's son. Because the Jews don't eat pigs, right? So the Jews aren't going to kill any pigs. But if you're Herod's son, you might get killed, right? That's how crazy this guy was. And so we can imagine whenever the wise men come to Herod and ask, where is he who was born king of the Jews? That Herod's ear kind of, you know, Like, what? Like, what are you talking about? I'm king of the Jews. I'm here, you know? There is no other king. I'm king of the Jews. 
And so Herod's response is very telling. When Herod, in verse 3, it says this of chapter 2, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And it goes down to verse 7 and 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. Uh, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So Herod wants the wise men to lead him to Jesus to worship him? No, to kill him. Herod wants to kill Jesus. And that's what we see in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod, this bloodthirsty man, was attempting to thwart the plan of God. And he kills probably 10 to 30 little boys that were around Jesus' age in order to stamp out this threat to his throne. We think about Christmas as a time of joy, and it is a time of joy. But Jesus was born during a time of infanticide. There is great sorrow during the time of Christ. That's, and that's what the prophet said in verse 18. Jeremiah said that it says Rachel weeping for her children. It's talking about that these children will be killed. And that's exactly what happens during the time of Jesus, something we don't really think about. But that's what Herod did. He was a crazy man willing to kill anyone so that he could remain king. In Herod, we are reminded that not everyone wants to worship the king. The wise men came to worship the king, but Herod reminds us that not everyone wants to worship this king. Herod's problem was that he had power that he didn't want to give up. He didn't want to bend the knee. We think about Philippians 2. It says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, Herod didn't want to bend the knee. He was willing to kill children, so he didn't have to bend the knee. That's how far he was willing to go. And I, I think that this is such a good example of what can go on in our own hearts. Not that we're going to kill any babies, but we all struggle with bending the knee. At the heart of every sinner, of everyone separated from God, is a reluctance to bend the knee. A reluctance to worship Jesus and to bow to him. If Jesus really is king, then salvation, what salvation is, is bending the knee to him in this life. Damnation is bending the knee to Jesus in the next life. Philippians 2 says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The wise men bent the knee in this life. Herod, unfortunately, is going to bend the knee in the next. Everyone's going to bend the knee. When are you going to do it? Before you die or after you die? You know what I'm saying? Our, our job is to preach Jesus so that they do it before they die, not after they die. Not, but not everyone will. Not everyone will. And so we can learn a lot here about salvation and coming to the king by comparing wise men, these wise men with Herod. Both the wise men and Herod were presented with the same truths. Both of them saw the star above both of them would have known the prophecies. Herod had a whole cohort of religious scholars that could clue him into everything that was going on. They both saw the star as the sign of the Messiah. 
They both read the prophecy of the the child being born in Bethlehem. And obviously, Herod believed it, just as the wise men did, because he was willing to kill kids. He must have believed that the Messiah was here. They were both presented with the same truth, the same scripture, the same word, and yet one responded in worship and the other responded in rebellion. The wise men worshiped, Herod rebelled. Why is this? I think there's one reason. There can only be one king, and the person that wants to be king will never bow the knee to the true king. No matter what truths are spoken, no matter what they are presented with, they can only be one king. In our hearts, are we going to bow the knee to the king, or are we going to try to take that throne? Are we going to take the position of God, or are we going to bow to God? I remember one guy that I um, met through Chris, actually. Um, he lived in Gorham. Um, I, I went over, to, he was lost, very lost, and I went over to, to talk to him about Jesus, and because he, he um, you know, had some different ideas, and, and I went just to kind of to share with him, and his attitude was that everything that he had was his because he had done it. He had, he had a, a drug problem in the past. He got over that drug problem. Everyone abandoned him except, you know, his wife, and, and they were better now, and all of you guys can go away because I'm here, and I did it all, and, and I'm the master of my own life. He was the king in his own heart. He ruled his world. He did not, he didn't think Jesus had any place in it, and he wasn't willing to believe in him. He wasn't willing to follow him because he was king. Herod reminds us, Herod reminds us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, either in this life or the next. And so our prayer is that the people that we, that we would be and the people that we would speak to would be like the wise men, not like Herod. So what, what we see as we think about Herod and the wise men is that the king has come to his kingdom. Transitioning to Luke chapter 2 with the shepherds, what we're going to see is that this king that has come is incredibly good news. Luke 2, verses 8 to 15. I'll just read it off for us to remind us. So it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. Um, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel uh, with angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth... Peace among those with whom he's pleased. This passage is one of the most famous passages of the Nativity account. It describes this angelic announcement of Jesus to this group of shepherds. And I just think it's, this, this is so significant to me. I, and I just try to picture myself there. It's nighttime. These guys are just doing their job. It's probably smelly, right? It's probably dirty. You got all these, you know, sheep around you not listening to you, like beating them upside the head. And then boom, these angels show up 
just speaking out of out of the night sky. The whole sky lights out. It's like whenever there's a thunderstorm and a lightning strikes and you can sort of see everything. It's kind of like that, except it's just bright white. And the angel makes this declaration. There's good news. Fear not. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. And then all of the host of heaven starts singing. All of the host of heaven starts singing this truth that Jesus has come. This is an outstanding thing because this message that the angels are bringing has been a message that has been in place from the beginning of time. Whenever God created all of, before God created anything, he always planned Jesus. Jesus was always going to happen. Jesus was not plan B. It wasn't that that Adam and Eve ate from the fruit and God was like, man, I got to figure this one out. No, it never happened that way. Jesus was always a part of the plan. And through thousands of years, moving forward to this point, the Old Testament prophets prophesying, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah saying, a king is going to come. Numbers 24, a star is going to show you the way. All of heaven singing, light, glory revealed. All of this is displayed to a few shepherds in the middle of a field. Not to kings. God doesn't do this to Herod. Not to priests. Not to rulers. Not to authorities. But to shepherds in the middle of a field. Why does God choose to do that? Why does God choose through thousands of years to display all of his glory in this message to some regular guys out in the field working their flocks? It's such a crazy thing. Why does God choose to do that? Well, there's two things I think we can learn from the shepherds. The first is this. Jesus was a king that came for regular people. Jesus was not a king to the rich. In fact, the rich didn't want to worship him as king. Jesus was not a king that came for the powerful. Jesus was a king that came for shepherds, for regular folks. Other sources tell us that shepherds during this time were societal outcasts that people didn't really hang out with shepherds. That may or may not be true. I've read some different things on that. But what is true is that God chose to announce this message to a group that represent all men. Men that work with their hands, that get out and do the everyday stuff of life. Men that and women that did not hold a, a position of power prestige. Gee, that's what the angel says in in. Um, the verse 9, verse 10 here, it says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The message of Jesus was for all the people. That's what the shepherds represent. The second is this. The king himself would also be a shepherd of his people. I don't, I don't think it's, it's an accident that God reveals this message to the shepherd and then has the shepherds at the birth of Jesus, Okay. I don't think it's by accident. Shepherds are just a part of God's people of Israel. Israel, whenever Israel was in Egypt, they were shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. And now we see shepherds at the birth of Jesus. Jesus is going to be a shepherd. That's what it says, that Jesus is a king and a shepherd. A king that has all power and authority and a shepherd that will love and lead his flock. Just an amazing thing. He's not a king that's so high above us that he's not with us. He's not a king that is so far beyond us that he doesn't know us. He's a king that rules over all, yet he knows us individually. He knows us by name. 
That's what it says in John. He's a shepherd that knows us by name. I love the juxtaposition here, these sort of contradictory qualities that find their perfect harmony in Jesus Christ. It's a tension that I think is expressed even more in this passage here. The angels yell out, cry out. The whole sky is just showing the glory of God that Jesus is here. And then whenever the angels, sorry, the shepherds roll up, they see the baby in a manger, in a barn, next to some sheep and some goats and some hay. This message declared, and they find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's, it's, such a, it's such a crazy thing to think about this good news that the sheep that have gone astray now have a shepherd to bring them home. I like the line in, the, in um, um, the, the Christmas song here, a thrill of hope, a weary, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That's what's going on here. The weary world rejoicing the coming of the shepherd king. And so whenever I put the two together, the wise men worshiping Jesus as king and then the shepherds hearing this good news, what we learn from these groups is that Jesus is coming. He's the shepherd king coming and that is incredibly good news. And so as we celebrate this Christmas season, let us approach Christ like the wise men worshiping him as king, not forgetting, right, the reason for the season. Let's come to him and worship him, not with a cold and rebellious heart like Herod, but with a true heart that focuses on him. Let's rejoice like the shepherds. There is great joy this season that we have our shepherd to save us. Great news for all people that this weary, weary world needs to hear, the shepherd sent to earth to lead and to guide us. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for these, these groups here, the wise men and, and the shepherds, and even Herod, Lord, and what we can learn from these guys. Um, it's, it, I just can't imagine being one of, the, one of these guys in the field, and you're just doing your job, and then just out of nowhere the angels declaring the glory of God. I I pray that we would, in our hearts, capture the spirit of that, Lord. In our hearts, just not be numb to the glory, Lord, because it's still good news. It never stopped being good news, and it never will stop being good news. It's just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago, Lord. And maybe we need our own bright light in in our own hearts, to shake us, Lord, from, from the darkness we're in or, or wherever we're at. I don't, I don't know where we're at, Lord. So I, I just pray for that, Lord, um, that we wouldn't be like Herod this Christmas. We'd be like the wise men and that we would just be overwhel- overwhelmed with the joy of the birth of our Savior, Lord. Um, I, I just thank you so much for your word that reminds us of these things, even as we sort of go through the motions of, of Christmas, God. We need your word to remind us of these things. And we thank you, God, that you just provide in every single way, every day, Lord. Uh, We love you. We thank you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.